Welcome back to the Teaching Culture Cast, the home for community and culture in teaching. I'm your host, Matthew Bliss, and this week we're going to be talking to Prav, who's a teacher in Queensland, has been working in the profession for about five years, who teaches in HASS, humanities, and business. And uh, we'll be getting his very unique perspective on how pre-service teachers can get an entry into the profession quite quickly with one really big, huge tip to really help teachers manage their well-being and truly get started in the profession in a way that's sustainable. But before we get into that, I need to mention that this week we were actually featured in the most recent newsletter from the Digital Learning and Teaching Victoria site. DLTV is an organization that runs conferences, they host webinars, they have teachers that are currently in the profession and those who are researching it provide tips for pedagogy, how to integrate digital technologies into the classroom, as well as how best to approach STEM and digital technologies as a subject. So if you're interested, I would urge you to go over to dltv.vic.edu.au and have a look at what they've got available. Of course, this is a Victorian institution. Uh, If you have a partnered institution in your state, I would urge you to look them up, but teaching in Australia is teaching. A lot of the stuff there they're going to have is great. And we were very fortunate to have an article posted in there as an introduction to the podcast and hopefully get a few more listeners on the boat. So once again, it's a really good reminder, not only for the DLTV newsletter, but uh, for you to share this podcast around with your colleagues, uh, with your friends, anyone who might be thinking about teaching, is currently studying teaching, or is just looking for a way to connect with more teachers and learn more about the profession. You can get in touch with us directly to give us feedback at the email teachingculturecast at gmail.com. We've also got our Instagram that you can subscribe to at teachingculturecast. We're also on Twitter, but the best advertising for us is just word of mouth. So if you enjoy the podcast, make sure you tell somebody. So without further ado, let's get stuck into this week's episode, episode five with Prav. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Prav. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. No problem, Matthew. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. What is your uh, teaching background so far? What's brought you into teaching? What's your subjects? So I am a business and humanities teacher. I've been in the profession uh, for the last five years or so. So nearing the end of my fifth year. A lot of a lot of lives prior to this, and uh, one of those chapters included um, uh, tutoring a second year accounting subject while I was at university. I did that for two and a bit years. Uh, it was phenomenal; absolutely loved it, and decided uh, when the previous chapter closed what I wanted to do with my life. And I thought, you know what? Let's let's do this teaching thing. So did the uh, grad dip, and uh, the rest is history. It's really interesting you mentioned the grad dip because um, this podcast is directed towards pre-service teachers and a lot of states in Australia are currently only able to do the Masters of Teaching, which is two years, whereas the graduate diploma is only one year. And I think Queensland's the only place left that offers it. Is that still the case? Do you know? Um, No, I think we're, we're to the Masters now as well. I think I was the second last, maybe the third last cohort. Um, I can't exactly remember uh, that got in for the one-year course, but no, it's the two years master's now up here as well yeah and do you think that one year course was sufficient to prepare you for what would be your hopefully successful teaching career <laughs> uh that that is a loaded question um i <laughs> honestly I, I feel you can never be prepared i mean you can be prepared on the theoretical side of things and you can do you know 
hundreds of hours of track. But when you line up your first class, there's no supervising teacher, there's no reports to be done, and you are there by yourself, there is nothing that can prepare you for, for that. You just have to jump in. You just have to trust uh, your, your knowledge and your experience and everything you've learned, and you just dive in. That being said, with the grad dip, because we only had the one year, everything was so fast-paced. There was never a moment where you could stop to breathe. So I will say that the grad dip uh, prepared me for how first-year teaching is quite like that. If you can keep your head above water, you are doing well. And everything just comes quick. And it prepared me for that. Like there, were, there was no stopping in that first year. And I remember at the end of the first year, <clears throat> I thought to myself, grad dip this. This is what it prepared me for. It prepared me to just be busy, to get my stuff done on time, organized because there is no time to breathe. So I think it was really good for that. There's a lot of prac in the grad dip as well, which I appreciated. I think we did about 15 weeks all up. I think I'm pretty sure a seven week block and then an eight week block. And so it's big chunks of time. I was quite lucky um, at the time my grad dip allowed me uh, to teach during what we now consider the toughest times of the year. So we're looking at the end of term two and into term three and all the way till the end of term three, which is easily, um, you're not fresh like you are in term one and the sort of end of year is not in sight like it is with term four. And it is a tough, you know, the toughest time of the year. And being able to do my practice in that time, I think also better prepared me for my own classrooms. But uh, to answer sort of the broader question, is anyone, you know, ever fully prepared? That's it. Like, no, no one. No one is fully prepared. When you're standing there, 28 kids trying to line them up and going, oh, man, where's my supervising teacher when I need him? <laughs> yeah, I think everybody can commiserate with you on that one. Even in the prac, oh, yes. getting put in front of a fresh class potentially three times across your studies. Nothing beats that feeling, I guess. <laughs> no, not at all. Really interesting to hear about the pace of the the one year as well. Uh, I realize we didn't necessarily prepare to talk about this, but um, it, it's it's good to hear for people who, without being too uncharitable, might complain about the length of time it takes to get qualified as a teacher these days. When you're doing the master's, it taking two years as opposed to one. Some people might look at that as them trying to pad it out and line university pockets a little bit. A little bit of extra time maybe doesn't hurt too badly. Not at all. And I'll, I'll admit, I haven't, um, I haven't since gone back to look at what they actually do in the masters for the two years, but pros and cons, just like everything, you know, pros and cons, I'm sure. Well, not meaning to plug, but a previous episode where we talked to Alex might be a really good one to listen to if anyone's interested in finding out about the pre-service teacher experience so far. Um, but it's really interesting. You hit a couple of big points with explaining your background there. You've, um, you said you're about five years into the profession. Um, that is an incredibly important time, not because of the teaching itself, but because most pre-service teachers are delivered that uh, single line at the beginning of their first subject as part of their studies, mm -hmm. where they're kind of asked to look left and then look right. And then they say, uh, four out of five of the teachers you just looked at will, won't be continuing their teaching after five years, which seems to walk the line between a scare tactic and a, a shock of reality. But mm. five years into your teaching career so far, how realistic do you think that's been? Can I, can I just backtrack with that look left and look right? Because I, it's yeah, yeah. that you mentioned it because one, I'm sure it happened to me. I can't remember, but I'm sure it did. And two, 
I think it transcends professions. I think they do it to law students and engineering students and med students. So it's hilarious that there's this commonality in the in those fields where you just go look left, look right, and you know, one of you won't be in the profession in a number of years. I feel quite blessed um, in the sense that I'm nearing the end of my five years now. And uh, while there have been ups and downs, of course, it's never been to a point where I feel like I need to leave the profession. And I, I'm privileged, I'm honored, I'm blessed that I am in that situation because um, I absolutely love love doing this. So um, I'd like to continue doing it for the you know foreseeable future. Um, I have seen it happen around me, though. I have seen people in the first five years just uh, uh, kind of drop off the radar. And, you know, I, I feel for them. It's a lot of time and effort to, to do this. Uh, to to get to the point where you can teach and uh, you know and just to be doing it for less than five years it's an it's an absolute um, absolute shame. It, from my perspective, uh, a couple of things uh, that I th- I think I did like like who knows who knows what the magic formula is here. But I the couple of things that I think I did in these five years is of course the the stuff that they talk to you about all the time. You know, be a reflective practitioner. You know, please go back and you know, think about what you did and how you can fix it, et cetera. Um, but if I were to sort of uh, narrow it down, I dare say every teacher, if, if I were really to narrow it down, every teacher has to deal with sort of three broad areas, if you want to call it that. You've got to deal with your lessons, you've got to deal with your classroom, and you've got to deal with um, all the admin work. Of those three, do things, uh, and, and again, this is just my perspective and my view, do all those things are never really going away. For example, you're always going to have classroom management hurdles at the start of the year that you need to iron out, and you're always going to have the admin work. And so that leaves the lessons and the planning. And the way I see it, if you have a lesson um, that you think went well, that's fantastic. Keep it as it is. Why fix what's not broken? But if you find you have a lesson that uh, you feel needs fixing or you feel needs tweaking, do it right away. Fix up that lesson right away because then the next time you come around to it, you don't have to worry about, oh, what went wrong when I did this last time? Was it last year or two years ago? And what do I fix? And how does that work? By fixing the lesson, you're taking care of one of the three things that you have to constantly deal with. Because the other two, the classroom management and the admin side, they're not really going away. So if you fix up your lessons, if you use that reflective uh, practitioner mindset and that model and uh, set your lessons, then you don't have to worry about it next time. That's one less thing you got to worry about. You know, it gets you more prepared because you're always going to have to deal with kids, classroom management, and you're always going to have to deal with admin work. Can't really take care of those. So... Take care of what you can. One less thing on your plate moving forward, you know. That's my sort of, I think, again, who knows what the formula is. That's just something that I noticed I myself doing. And uh, like I said, incredibly, incredibly honored, privileged, blessed to be able to making it past five years, I think. But it sounds like just managing how you approach your work, setting yourself up for success is going to be the best way to avoid that burnout. Mm. I really enjoyed the way you split that up too, because a lot of people are scared of the administration bit. I was, as I was listening to you, I, was, I wasn't sure if you were going to say the admin was that crucial bit that wasn't going away or not. That kind of optimism is always important to keep, I think, that eventually teachers won't have as much to worry about in the admin space. Yeah. So in terms of your approach to avoiding burnout, 
do you think that you just haven't felt that approach at all because of the way that you've you've been doing the work? I, I think so, yes. And then um, you've got to remember that <clears throat> on top of all of this, you have to do uh, you know the, the stuff that everyone says. I suppose the, the aim of this podcast is to talk about stuff that most teachers or teaching circles don't talk about. But don't don't forget, got to take care of yourself, you know, got to take time for yourself, enjoy the holidays when you can, all that sort of stuff still stings. But then thinking about this additional, uh, you know, taking care of what you can take care of so it's off your plate helps as well. I'm not going to lie, I'm also very, very fortunate to have an excellent, uh, an excellent team around me. My hod who wishes to remain anonymous probably deserves many medals and certificates for his work. The guy's a, uh, the guy's a genius. Uh, so shout out to him. I'm excellent. Um, I'm a team that I work with, the Hass team. So shout out to them as well. It, it, it all comes together. You know, I think if one of those things were out of place, maybe it would be a different conversation we were having now. But I'm, I'm just extremely fortunate to be working with some incredible people to be able to um, sort of take care of the things that I can and, uh, and then take care of myself when the opportunity arises. You know? Yeah, that's really good. It, it's, it's also brilliant to, to hear that you've got a great team of teachers and a head of your department as well around you that's positively influential on your experience because not all teachers have that same experience, do they? There's a lot of stories we hear on the subreddit, the r slash Australian teachers, where sometimes it's not the best and it can really push teachers in the direction of dropping their career yeah. like before that five-year gap. So good on you. Yeah, well done. Thanks. <laughs> they, always, they always say, they always say uh, people quit managers, not jobs. You know, yeah. so yeah. That, that, that comes into it as well. Man, there's so much, there's so much in this, uh, there's so much to it, you know. It's just, uh, mm. I guess you gotta, you gotta figure out what, uh, what works for you and, and go with it. That reflective practice element, I think that's going to be the key one, isn't it? Figuring out what works for you, how you set yourself up to take care of yourself and, um, take care of that work as quickly as possible. Being open to those new ideas as well, Matthew, sorry, I just thought of a, of a tangent. I was reading on the, in the subreddit, uh, someone had the idea, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, something like. Teach your kids that, it, and this is this is so random. But if they put their hand up with an open palm, that's a question. If it's a fist, it's they want to go to the bathroom. I don't know why I just thought of that. But when you're talking about reflective practice and being open to ideas, um, it, it's so silly. It's so silly, isn't it? But I read it and I went, I'm doing that from next year. That's phenomenal. Uh, being a reflective practitioner, also be open to those ideas and going, hey, that's I'm gonna try that because mm. you've got to try things. And if they don't work, all right, move back, move on to the next thing. But you've got to be trying things. I don't, I'm sorry, completely, completely random tangent that I thought about when you just uh, said that. No, it's, it's an excellent point because even though we have our small pockets of communities in teaching, especially in Australia, you might split up the, the public from the independent, from the Catholic, like we're all doing the same stuff. So we need to make sure we have the opportunities to learn from each other. And um, this wasn't an advertisement audience for the subreddit, but you should definitely go have a look for <laughs> great tips like that. No, um, it's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal community on that subreddit. I, I highly recommend it. Double plug. I'll do it. Like, it's just, <laughs> just uh, any questions you have, no questions are too small, too big, too silly. Every, phenomenal people who just take the time to thoughtfully answer uh, what, what, you, uh, what you're asking. So, yeah, double plug. No shame there. Are Australian teachers... Absolutely. 
it's a very supportive community. But speaking of communities, you have talked about your uh, inner circle of teachers that support you has been pretty good. But um, you mentioned as well that your head of department has been um, quite good for you as well. Do you want to talk about what that's been like for you when you started out as a teacher and the impact of um, his or her influence on your teaching practice? Yeah, absolutely. So um, they've been doing this a long time, my, my head of department, and they just, um, they see things on another level that I'm, I, I hope to be there in 20 years. You know, I, I'm not even mm. close. Um, but they see things on another, another level and they're always pushing. They're pushing for you to do better, which is what a good hot, um, a good hot should do. Their pedagogical approach is, is second to none. And I was quite lucky um, to be guided uh, by that pedagogical approach um, for, uh, for the first few years of my, of my career. They kind of let me do my own thing now. But I was able to boil it down to, you know, to see, to see what they're saying and boil it down into the very catchy five Fs, which, you know, I should trademark that. Can I have a little DM side? Like just. I think you need to talk to your head of department first and then we'll <laughs> figure out the pattern from there. But uh, uh, what are the five Fs? Yeah. Um, so um, pedagogically, uh, the five Fs, right? You've got to be firm, fun, funny, fair, and have follow through. And each of those. Uh, you know, if we, you do it correctly and you do it in conjunction, like uh, simultaneously with each other, generally leads to a fairly good um, uh, pedagogical approach. Now, again, uh, all the stuff that you learn about at university and that, that on your practice, for example, build relationships with the kids, get to know the kids, all that stuff still applies, still applies. But if we're if doing this so that we talk about stuff that's not really spoken about otherwise, the five Fs are the way to go, right? We start off with the firm. Setting the tone for the lesson is so important. My entry routine, um, on average, takes about seven minutes. And to a lot of people, they'll go, seven minutes? What? Like, the lesson's, like, well begun by then. Yes, it has. But if it takes that time, I will get that time back tenfold in the classroom. If I take my time setting the tone for the lesson. And my record, and I joke about this all the time, my record is 40 minutes. In my first year, a year seven class that uh, didn't know me and I didn't know them, 40 minutes, they would not do it the way I expected. Setting that tone is so important. That cohort, the year 11s, the year 11s at the moment, ah, they're the best. Like we get along like a house on fire. But, but I'll never ever forget that one class took me 40 minutes to set the tone before I went in. It's a lot quicker now, of course, but, uh, yeah. uh, but setting that tone, you got to be, you got to be firm. You got to set that tone before going in. They do exactly what to expect. Mm -hmm. Set that far pretty high so that if by any chance it's an off day and it falls, you're still up there. You're not lowering the expectations too much. And just to get an idea of the scope of that 40 minutes, how long is your typical lesson? Oh, it's a 70 minute lesson. Okay. So cool. We're looking at, we're looking at over half the lesson, uh, one of those situations where they're just not doing it the way I wanted to. And we just did it again and again and again. Worth mentioning next time they got a first shot, took a couple of minutes. They got yes. a first shot done. And every time after that, we were able to get in, set the tone, get moving. So being firm, setting the tone of your lesson is so important. The next um, FC, you got firm, you got fun. 
your lessons need to be engaging. And they'll tell you this all the time at university, you got to have engaging lessons. It goes to that emotive teaching to delve into it a little bit. The kids will never remember what you taught them. They'll never remember what you taught them, but they will remember how you made them feel. And I think it was a few episodes ago, I want to say it was Anna, episode two, who said the kids will remember how you treated them. Um, and they will remember how you made them feel. So it's, uh, get engaging lessons, get them experiencing things. And I'm so, again, grateful for my heart who allows that scope for experiential learning, get them to experience things. It's a lot easier, I dare say, in a subject like HPE or science, where you get to run around or you get to like blow stuff out. But in a, in has in business, in history, um, how do you get them experiencing things? And so you you scour the web and uh, you you continually think about ideas, and suddenly you come up with why teach them about child labor in the industrial revolution when you can turn the classroom into a factory and get them making paper planes and you get a couple of kids out as factory managers, you get them, you know, kind of yelling at the workers and you have like, you know, you're not doing the right thing or stand in the corner. Like you get them experiencing a factory. You could teach the law of diminishing return for economics and business, but why do that when you can have four volunteers continually scull water and have them rate the glass of water? on how much they liked it to show that they like it less and less every time they have to skull. you got to skull, skull like at the, and they're just going and the rating of the glass of water drops. That's the law of diminishing return. Get kids emotive, get them experiencing because that is what they'll remember. Years from now, they'll remember that child labor lesson and go, oh, there was the industrial revolution, all the factories in England and all that sort of stuff. Oh, that was the law of diminishing returns. So you made us skull all that water. I know that now I've watched a movie five times in a row, didn't enjoy it as much as the first time. So they'll, they'll, they'll get feeling things and experiencing things. You've got to have fun lessons. You have to have fun lessons. Admittedly, can't do that all the time. You've got to have somewhere, uh, uh, you know, they're not, not as uh, captivating or not as engaging as others, but for the most part, the more engaging, the more fun lessons you have, the better it is. Now, I just want to pick up on that very quickly, not to put you on the spot at all, but um, a lot of teachers, uh, people that are training to be teachers currently might hear that and hear, I need to make every single lesson engaging and fun because that's the kind of value I want to draw out for my, you know, my final practice to get that great score to move on to graduating the class or, you know, getting high marks as part of my subject-oriented lessons as part of my university course. but. It's it's sometimes you need a bit of experience to get to that stage where you can, in in your terms, make them fun. Yeah, like it's hard to find the opportunities to jump in and um, turn a lesson about the industrial revolution into a full classroom activity. Mm. And I think that lends to the method you're talking about too, because yeah. uh, unless you've got them engaged within seven minutes, you probably couldn't turn your your classroom into a factory fast enough and get them doing what you want them to fast enough um, to get that done. No, absolutely. And once the kids realize what your, your expectations are, like when, when I did this with my year and I do it, every time I teach year and I, that's the industrial revolution unit, I, I, I do this, but they know my expectations. I also, uh, there's a, there's a couple of sort of tricksy sort of sneaky things that you can do. For example, I would always do that lesson. 
um, you know, I, at the end of the day, if, for example, if I saw them lesson four on a Wednesday, that's when I would do that lesson as opposed to a more theoretical type lesson, because I know that that's the one where they need more engaging. You could also, um, you could also brief them on it. Kids are, kids are weirdly intuitive. Like any teacher will know this. They are more switched on than we give them credit for. And if you are honest about it, I'll, I'll explain what I mean in a moment. They have, they have a lot more respect for you. So I might say, for example, guys, uh, look, I do apologize in advance. You know me. Um, I love the fun, engaging lesson. Okay. But this one, not going to lie. It's a little bit dry. We're going to be having a look, um, at some of the, uh, the towns and the cities in the industrial revolution. But I promise this leads into a really fun lesson on Wednesday when we see each other in lesson four, I promise. Okay. So it's 60 minutes, guys, right? Just, just bear with me, please. You'll get through this and I promise you a fun lesson on Wednesday. And then it sort of sets them up for it. They're like, okay, look, okay, what 60 minutes in the grand scheme of things? It's nothing. And then on Wednesday, mm -hmm. we get to have something fun and they don't know what it is. And they're like, oh, what is it, sir? It's like, oh, you'll find out, you know, build that mystery, build that excitement. And then you come in and the, do the factory lesson. So you can do a couple of uh, tricky things like that, but where possible, engaging. And absolutely, there's got to be times where it's, you know, lack of a better term, death by PowerPoint. We all will do it. I do it. Get your kids excited about every now and then there's that exciting lesson and tell them about it, brief them for it, and they'll be prepared. They'll respect you for it as well. Interesting. So take your fun opportunities where you can, but don't dismiss the dry work in between. That's it. I don't know, trying to put it into sentence there, but- I've been trying to figure out how to put it into a sentence for the last two weeks, man. Like I just, you know, that's, I think that's it. That's exactly it. So- Okay. Well, what's our third F? Our third one. So you got film, fun, and uh, you then move on to funny, which is, I mean, come on, sense of humor. You've got to have that sense of humor uh, inside the classroom, outside of it. The kids respond to it. I mean, who doesn't like, who doesn't like um, someone who has a good sense of the humor, you know? And so incorporating that into your lessons where possible, no matter how small can, you know, really set, you set the tone of being full. But hey, look, we can have a laugh as well. It doesn't have to be one of those, you know, I say you do this and you do it type situations. Mm. And you can do it in the smallest, in the smallest of ways. Uh, you ask the kids a question, you know, with a show of hands, you know, who knows, uh, who knows the year when Hitler invaded Poland with a, with a show of hands. And then the kid, you know, kids will put their hands up and you point to one. It's like, oh, all right, Jimmy, no pressure. Got to get this right. Let's go. And then they will <laughs> have a bit of a laugh about, it, you know, so there's little things, little things, um, like that always, you know, uh, you, you're sort of peppering the lesson with, uh, with humor, which, which always helps. And admittedly, that was a, a small, silly example, but there are, there are tons of things out there. And once they understand you and your sense of humor, um, they, they know moving forward, Hey, you know, oh, he sets, uh, he sets a, a, a high bar. The expectations are pretty high up there. He's firm, but we're looking for those engaging lessons every now and then, and he's peppering the whole thing with, with humor, which is great. It also, it's also worth mentioning that there are some lessons where you don't, you just absolutely don't. So in year 10, we do world war two and we have a lesson on the, on the Holocaust and you, you set that bar. And again, it's about being honest with the kids. Like guys, look, we are studying a really, really heavy lesson today. No jokes, no, no snickering, no, none of that. Questions gladly accepted, chuck your hand up and we'll get to it. But it's super serious. 
that is the tone we expect. And then, you know, you go on to talk about the Holocaust. So you got to, it's all about setting that tone. So the kids know. And uh, yeah, the, be, be funny. Humor's good. The balance is important there. Where oh, yes. You don't want to be a comedian, but you also want to make sure that you're respecting the material or that you take those opportunities at the same time. But obviously, it's not a hard line for you to walk. It sounds like you know where the comedy shouldn't be happening and where yes. it should. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And more importantly, my kids pick up on it too. And if they yep. don't, I'm not, I don't hesitate to get in from the class. Like, guys, screens halfway, focus up. Sense the tone. This is not the time. You know, your assessment's due in the, at the end of the day. Like, this is not the time to be mucking around yet. Yeah? Focus up. So that's, uh, that's three, I believe, Matthew. Fun, sorry, film, fun, funny. Yep. And we got fair. Uh, fair is an easy one. Fair gets taught uh, all the time. Fair gets hammered into you all the time. Consistency. The kids expect consistency. Kids will have their ups and downs. And uh, you've got to give them the leeway for that. But we're the professionals. We're the ones being paid to do this. We're the adults. These are the kids with, uh, with all the hormones running through their body. You can't, can't expect them to be consistent all the time. They will have their ups and downs. But as professionals, we need to be consistent. So it doesn't matter the type of day you're having. And we've all had those days. You need to make sure that you are, uh, you know, for example, a certain consequence on one day. Is that for the next? Is that for the next? Or even the positive. Consequence, positive consequence—is that a thing? For one day is the next reward day. Reward is next what day. you're looking for. Reward. That's the word. <laughs> Thank you. That's the word. Um, so yeah, the reward is you know one day to the next to the next because we are the professionals. We need to be the ones consistent. And look, don't beat yourself up too much about it. If it's if it's not the case, you start to sort of like a poker game. You start to be able to tell when the kids are kind of trying to suss you out. I remember I had a couple of um, really bad lessons on my on my full day. Um, a couple of lessons that didn't go as I wanted. Um, and I came in and I set up and my kids were lined up and I go outside and it must have been something in my face or my demeanor or my actions. But the kids go, okay, today, sir, how's your lessons been? How's all this lesson one and today, two today, sir? And I'm just going, oh God, they can tell. They can tell. <laughs> like they pick up on it, you know, and you go, okay, you know, let's go back consistent. Don't be mad at these kids. Like it was just a bad lesson, you know? And uh, your kids pick up on it as well. But that consistency is so important. My guys know exactly what to expect 99% of the time when they come into my classroom. And it stays, so stays the same, especially when it works. A small side note, a small asterisk. If something's not working, change it and try it. And then yeah. when it works, make it part of your repertoire and that expectation of consistency. You know, so got to be flexible, but the kids should know what to expect. For pre-service teachers that might get a group for two weeks because of sudden remote learning in some cases, or might have them for four to six weeks, it's often hard to set up that consistency. Would you say that it's quite easy to ramp up into the kids understanding exactly what you expect of them with regards to what you talked about there? Or would you say that it takes a certain amount of time, like two or three weeks for them to completely get you, I guess? I would say it depends on the kid and it it depends on the teacher as well. There are some kids in my classroom who got it just like that. I'm talking two lessons. They're like, okay, that's what he expects. Let's go. And there are some kids where it took, uh, uh, it took months. You know, you're generally being able to get a grip on your classes. End of term one, start of term two. Like it sometimes takes months for some kids. That's okay. It's just being 
applicants again and again and again, and uh, they will eventually get it. You know, so it takes it takes time. So for all the pre-service teachers um, um, listening out there, if you're going to try these um, five Fs, understand that this consistency thing sometimes takes time. Don't beat yourself up about it if you have a three-week pack and by the end of it, something you've tried is not working. You've got to keep trying. And reflecting. And reflecting. That's it. Change things if need be, but otherwise, just keep at it. That's great. And what is our last F? Last one. So we got full, fun, funny, fair, and follow through. So this kind of links in with the, uh, with the fair, which is why I think it's ordered in that way. But mm-hmm. the follow through talks about both positive uh, rewards and negative consequences. You have to follow through if you see a kid making the incorrect choices and you've given them the chances and you say, oh, you've got 10 minutes with me at lunch. Write it on your hand. Give them that 10 minutes at lunch. Give them a chance possibly to explain themselves. Teaching is a, it, it, it's a very, we're not robots. Kids aren't robots. It's a very human uh, uh, centered industry. Get the kid's side of the story. It's like, hey, everything okay, man? Usually you're so good. What happened? Do you have a bad day? Not get enough sleep? Like if you had breakfast, there's so many things that can go in. But if the kids are like, no, nah, everything's, everything's fine. So I'm just a little bit of an off day. I don't know why. Yeah, you know what? Dude, you're doing 10 minutes with me at lunch, right? That's the consequence. But if there's something there, if there's something more, more, try and work with the kid where where possible, you know? And try and make them understand. Look, I get it, man. You haven't had breakfast. I get so cranky when I don't have breakfast. But you've got to realize that you're disrupting the learning of others, okay? So we'll do the 10 minutes and next time, can you please make sure you eat something if possible before you come to class? Or even ask me, do you have food in your bag? Go eat it now. I'll give you five minutes. Go outside. Eat it. Come back in. But when you're in, you're good to go and you're doing your 10 minutes at lunch. So it's sort of understanding, but still following through with your your consequences and of course your rewards. My favorite thing to do is um, tuck shop reward, which is where, um, you know, winning group or whatever it might be. I'll buy them one thing each from the tuck shop at lunch. And we do it as a competitive thing uh, for quizzes and that in the groups and the kids know to expect it. So they kind of go, sir, are we doing tuck shop reward at the end of this? And I'll go, yeah, let's go. Tuck shop reward for the winning group. You know, And you, you follow through with a positive as well. Pre-service teachers never, ever underestimate the power of a positive phone call for it will change your day to the point where, um, again, my heart, Shout out to him. He says, uh, you got to have where possible. He calls it the zero phone call policy, which is where for every negative phone call you make, you got to make a positive phone call to negate it, to bring it back to zero. Okay. And I know it's a very clickbaity title, the zero phone call policy, but never underestimate if we're talking about following through with a positive reward, you could be having the crappiest day. But you think about those one or two kids that are always just there doing what you ask and just being the best kids ever. And you make those two phone calls, I promise you on your drive home, your mindset will be in a much better place than if you just stew on those bad lessons that you have. That mm. positive phone call is so important, but it's that full of it, right? And then the kid comes back the next day. So you called mom, you called dad, and he's like, yeah, man, like hopefully they... Hopefully they told you we had a chat and, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. And it just goes from there. That follow through is so important, both for the negative stuff and the positive stuff. And that's the five Fs, essentially. Quickly, before we round out that little bit, the follow through is interesting and the way you explained it there, because hearing it without getting the context 
you think, okay, that means I do have to pull out the whip when I tell this kid he's doing the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. But follow through can also mean commiserating with the student, understanding more about them, following through with the human aspect as well as you know, the negative consequences. I think that's a really interesting perspective, one that, one that pre-service teachers wouldn't necessarily get um, without that practical experience. Oh, yeah. But I like how you said as advice that pre-service teachers should do the call home. Have you, do you, mm. Did you have the opportunity to contact parents when you were on your practice? Um, I did. Uh, and my, essentially how that works is um, uh, the supervising teacher would be in the room with you. They would make the call. Uh, and say, hey, uh, I've just got a pre-service teacher with me. Would like to have a quick chat about, you know, uh, little Jane in, in, in your class. Is that okay? And then the pre-service teacher takes it over. It's a positive football. You know, I don't see why a supervising teacher would be against it. Right, right. And their day as well, you know, in case they've had a, a bit of a crappy day. Like it. It, it's a great ramp into to making those phone calls too. Because, like, it, speaking from my experience, didn't get to do a parent-teacher interview day. Didn't get to make any phone calls to parents. Admittedly, it was because I didn't ask, but when you think of calls home, you think of the negative side. Yes. You're telling the parent that the kid has done something wrong, but maybe getting the chance to make a positive call home might be a really good experience. Oh, absolutely. And I'll tell you what, the telltale side, Matthew, is when you call, and I've had a couple of parents pick up and go, and you know, like, oh, crap, see the school. And they go, oh God, is this What's about he now? What's he done this time? Like, <laughs> I don't know, actually. John, I'm actually calling to say Johnny's been fantastic. Even the way he worked all week was amazing. He was on it. He, you know, did this, that, blah, blah, blah. And the parents, oh, like, oh, it's so nice to get a post. You know, anyhow, you you know how the rest of that goes. So, uh, never underestimate the uh, power for positive phone call. And I can hear the collective voices of the internet screaming about um, all the time that you might potentially spend doing all of this follow through and follow up and phone calls and stuff. Do you ever find that you don't have the time to meet your own expectations with the amount demanded of teachers these days? Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's something that you have to, you know how they say if it's important enough, you'll make time for it. It's sort of like that. Um, the negative consequences, just as, a, again, a little sneaky little tricksy thing, I generally do it during lunch, um, trying to do it at playground duty when I'm out and about anyway and so the kid just meets me there for example i works out quite well i'm out on playground duty getting to know the kids monitoring the kids anyway and, and here's uh, little jimmy doing detention you know so it's you you try and work that way for the positive phone calls um i again you do what works for you but i generally find the friday afternoons a good one because um I, I don't know about other schools, I suppose, but where I am, I'm waiting about 20, 30 minutes for some of the traffic to clear, all the pickup traffic and the parents to clear before I can leave. It's 20 minutes. You put your stuff down, unwind for five, get a couple of phone numbers, hop into a hot office, make a couple of calls. And by the time it's time to go home anyway. So you're just using the time to, to make those calls, you know? So obviously not possible all the time. There are Fridays where I'm just going, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm going home. I'm going, oh my God, we can't plan. I'm, I'm out of here. That's the self-care, right? Yeah, that's it. And that's okay too. Every now and then, throw in those positive phone calls. It'll make all the difference. So yeah, to answer your question, managing the time expectation, yeah, it's, it's difficult, uh, but it's rewarding. And don't beat yourself up if you don't get to do it all the time. Do it when you can. It will make a difference. So we've got five Fs, which has 
uh, inspired your teaching from this mysterious head of department that we'll have to get on the podcast sometime, I'm sure. <laughs> Not sure. Probably, he'd probably want a voice modulator and, you know, all sorts of- I'll have to talk uh, to someone about a witness protection kit at some point to yeah, try and get exactly. these people on. That means it can't be my heart anymore, so let's not do that. Because that would be, <laughs> be counterintuitive. Uh, but no, that's yeah, that's that five Fs. Firm, fun, funny, there, and colorful. And it sounds like you've just got a, a really well-rounded, well-being focused, consistent approach to your own work that just makes teaching for you a lot easier than it could be. I think a lot of pre-service teachers that approach the new job, um, just as you let us out with, with the example about standing in front of a class for the first time and it not really being too much of a variable experience, it is going to smack you hard in the face the first time that um, not many of them take the time in that first year probably to, to try and establish that mode of work. It's all about the, the output and the marking and making sure that everything, every box is ticked that you're keeping everybody happy, and then you <laughs> think about yourself. But maybe yeah. putting yourself first a lot more might be a great way to avoid that five-year kind of burnout period we, we talked about before. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And look, I'm not going to lie, that that first year, um, you know, I was getting in, I was first one in, I was last one out. Like, it, it happens. Um, at the very least, can't remember who said this. It wasn't my heart. Can't remember who said this. But at the very least, um, in your first year, uh, chances are for a lot of people, I know, I know it was for, uh, for me, but chances are for a lot of people, um, it'll be the first time in, in years that you're at a job that pays you fairly well. Like we're quite lucky as teachers, we get paid a decent amount of money to do our jobs. Can't remember who it was. He said, book a holiday in the September holidays at the start of the year, right? So you're in January, you've got yourself a first teaching contract. Well done, man. You're a part to start school in two weeks. Hop one line. Uh, 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 a little bit more difficult with, with COVID over the last couple of years, but things are opening up now, even if it's within your state. Yeah. In January, you, you got that contract. You have two weeks to start. Hop on lie. September holiday is at least a weekend away. If you can do more than that, if you can afford more than that, more power to you, but at least a weekend away. And then in the first nine months, when you are trying to keep your head above water and trying to take all the boxes and lessons and admin and right. All that stuff, September holidays hits, and you go, oh, man, I got a weekend away. That is going to be awesome. It's already booked it. And do it more. Of course, do it more if you can. But at the very least, at the start of the year, it's the sort of set and forget. I know I did. I said, and I absolutely forgot that we had that going and that my, my partner at the time was like, we're going away that weekend. I was like, oh, man, we are. And it was just like the best thing. You know, it, it was amazing. Absolutely take the time for yourself sorry, so you can avoid that, um, that burnout. But at the very least, in January, just book that weekend away um, in September, in those September holidays, and you'll be thankful. Sounds like it's a super bonus when you forget that the holiday is coming too, which is a great thing. Absolutely. Seeing it pop up on the calendar was just, ah, I can't explain, Matthew. Oh, that first year. You know, I can't <laughs> explain how good it was, so... I don't want to take up too much more of your time and you've been dropping huge tips for our audience throughout this episode, but as we always like to end the podcast with, we like that pearl of wisdom. So what would be your one big tip for all the teachers out there from your experience that you'd like to like to offer? I've been thinking about this. I've been thinking about this for the last two weeks because I knew you were going to end it this way. And I thought, uh, let's go crazy. Yeah. My big 
it be an unsafe teacher. Please expound on that. Because <laughs> you know, that's like 80 years old hell, isn't it? No one likes a boring teacher. Shout out to my heart for this. No one likes a boring teacher. Anyone can stand up there, chalk and talk, teach from a PowerPoint, right? We want spark. We want engaging. We want unsafe teachers. Do stuff that you think will get the kids going. I know it was clickbaity as well, hell, that unsafe teacher bit, but that's, it's what it is. Don't be boring. Death by PowerPoint can be done by anyone. Be different. Be unsafe. But I hear you too. Like being unsafe, you could also say it like go outside your comfort zone. Um, yes. The chalk and talk is the common one. Everybody says don't do it, but we end up doing it because we may not be pushing our practice as much as we'd like. And so, yeah, I think you're right on the money. Be unsafe push outside the bounds of what you're comfortable with. That discomfort is something teachers have to come to terms with at some point as well. I guess expanding a little bit more, expand out to your greater community like the subreddit, like the teachers that you work with, and you end up with great stuff like the five Fs and that can really broaden your horizons in ways that you didn't think that you could for your teaching. Mm. I hope I hope it's been I hope it's been helpful. It's been uh, really good. Thank you so much for having me on. I hope uh, uh, if even one person, pre-service teacher or otherwise, listens to this and takes something away from it, I'm happy. Brilliant. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming. For having me. We'll make sure they can contact you on the subreddit and uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Excellent. Thank you, Matthew. That was Prav talking about how he manages his well-being in his teaching and the use of the five F's to create a really sustainable model and approach when you first start in the teaching profession. I'll tell you what, getting to five years, sometimes it's not easy. So hopefully this advice really helped you out. Next week, we're going to be talking to Tanya, who is first year out in the profession and has a lot of great advice. She is just a sage of wisdom, even though she's still so early on in her career. So look out for the episode in the next fortnight. Be kind to yourselves, be kind to each other. And we'll see you in the next episode.